This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me. I've got an exceptional conversation with Tanner Wayne, who is the percussionist in In Flames, to share with you. Now, prior to joining In Flames, Tanner has been on the scene for quite some time. He's been a tech involved with Suicide Silence, Thy Art is Murder, and Of Mice and Men, amongst others. If you go online, you can see that he was part of groups like Scary Kids, Scaring Kids, and more. So the catalyst for the chat, though, is due to an Australian tour from In Flames. Now, I only recently posted my chat with Chris Broderick, who is these days the band's guitarist. Of course, we talk about the tour and Tanner's perception of Australia, but this chat goes much deeper. We talk about plant medicine and psychedelics. So I hope you enjoy this one. It's a bit different, but you seasoned listeners know that I love to do this. I might be talking to a musician, but we're all human, right? So these topics, they tend to be adjacent to the music. I do find that us musician types, we're sensitive, so we're more open to these sorts of things. And this chat is a very good example of why what I love about conducting conversations for the show. Okay, so here he is, Tanner Wayne from In Flames. This is my one, two, three, four. This is my fourth interview in a row. I've never done this. But you've been so, in the industry for you've been in the industry for well over a decade. Yeah. Um, anytime I've done an interview, it's just like here's an interview. It's either on the phone or in person. Like, cool. But I've never done back to back to back to back where I've had to tell almost every interviewer, hey, so we have to end. Like, I've never had to do that in my life. So I feel bad because I'll sit there and I'll talk to anyone for a fucking hour. But I've had to like, I've never done 15 minute interviews. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I'm hearing you. Do you, do you enjoy this aspect of it? Uh, it depends like what's going on in my day. Like where, how is my anxiety that day? You know, like, yeah. but for me. I don't know if it's a bad or a good thing for me to say this about myself, but I'm such a talker. I'll talk to fucking anyone. Um, and again, especially like if I'm fucking feeling good that day, I'll talk to whoever. And um, I, uh, yeah. So for this shit, it's, it's all good. It's, it's easy. The only thing that happens in interviews sometimes is like, you can kind of tell that they're like, fuck, okay, we got the drummer. We don't want to talk to him. Like you can kind of tell that all, yeah. a lot of the questions don't have anything to do with me. Um, but I, you know, I, I know to answer them to a certain extent, but it's all good. I can talk about what I do for fucking ever, you know? Yeah. I was, just, I was talking to Jennifer Finch before Christmas from L7, who is not someone you want to fuck with, actually, it's got to be said. And she was telling me that a bloke was interviewing her, a bloke for, I think it was a bloke from the States. Anyway, he was, he, he literally said to her, oh, I'm running errands and talking to you. And she, I think she alluded to the fact she taught him a brand new asshole. So you get some people who do this, who don't recognize that there is quite a lot of respect in what we do. And yes, it's an independent pursuit for the most part, but there's this interface and it's got to be treated with respect. And you've actually got to do the research about the person that you're interviewing. Because when you phone it in, and there's a lot of these podcasts out there, this is this is the underlying issue is that there's such a low barrier to entry. You don't have to be a journalist to do this, that you listen to some of these interviews and you think, my God. Why did you bother? I know, like, there's only been a couple. There's only been a a, a couple interviews where, um, where I'm looking at this guy, like, 
did you not fucking research anything? Because for me, like I've had to fake it till you make it a couple times and whatever, like, bro, if, especially if you, if you know that you're interviewing me takes five fucking seconds, you like, you can literally just bam, bam, bam. Okay. Tanner's name's this. Okay, cool. Let's go. All right. And they, they just seem like, even sometimes it seems like they've never interviewed a band or that they like, don't really know what we're doing musically or like have any reference to what we do musically. So sometimes it's awkward, but I don't do press often too, uh, for, for, for inflame. So I don't really, um, get it, but like the, the Bjorn and Anders have to do it the most. And, um, and it can be intense when it's one after the other and one after the other. And when it goes from like professional magazine to like college kids to whatever. Yeah. So if anything, I try to fuck with the college kids and try to fuck with whoever, like when we were doing the, the press for the album last year, I remember one of them, they started the interview and I'm like, okay, these kids have never heard of me. These kids don't listen to metal. I'm just going to tell them about psychedelics and we're just going to fucking get weird <laughs> and uh, let's see how uncomfortable I can make them. Yeah. And look, I've done, I've done over 800 of these and I've got to be frank. I've interviewed Anders. I've certainly interviewed Bjorn. Bjorn's great, but Anders doesn't give a lot away. So when you talk to him, you're talking to the guy that's at the head of the corporation, if you like. So it's very much the company line. Yeah. And they're not interesting conversations to be frank. Yeah, I I give it to him for being for him being able to do that because I'm the opposite in the sense that I need to like reel it the fuck in with how much I'll tell you. I'll tell you crazy shit that I shouldn't tell you. You know what I mean? So like for me, especially being not the owner of the corporation, and um, I'm not very poised when it comes to like what to say, what not to say. So I just gotta be aware that I'm not supposed to say secret shit that you know, like tour announcements and whatever the fuck. Um, other than that, I'm on the opposite tip that I'm constantly trying to, uh, slow my, uh, role of how unprofessional I can get. Because for me, it feels like me and you are on a zoom call. We're buds. Now we just met yeah. and with how comfortable I get into these modes, I'll just fucking tell you shit. And I go, Oh fuck. I shouldn't have said that. But, um, I give it to them for being professional because I'm not that professional, like, especially at meet and greets and stuff. When fans ask me questions, I'm just like, because uh, I don't really consider myself to be this fucking person, right? I am completely remove myself off the pedestal and I just consider myself just a dude who gets to do this shit. So I'll answer questions accordingly, but I give it to how professional they can be because I can't reel it in like that. Yeah. And and then you on the other side of the coin, you've got that magnificent guitarist in the band these days, Chris. And uh, I had a good chat with him a couple of days ago and he's somewhere in between the middle. So he's used to doing interviews. He's certainly in the band, but... He's a recent arrival into the band, but he's also got this uh, incredible, this just amazing history with Megadeth and Jag Panzer and and Nevermore as well. So you can go in like multiple different directions. Or really, just you get a sense sort of in the first five minutes which direction you can take the chat in. And to me, there the chats with people like yourself who have been around a long time but have only just come to prominence are interesting. And the veterans, they're the best ones, for sure, definitely. Yeah. How did you, how did the, I'm sure you've answered this question a thousand times, but here we go. How did the gig in, in Flames come about? I've actually never even been asked this. Right. Okay. Okay. Kidding. 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 kidding, kidding, kidding. Um, uh, long story short, I was, um, when I wasn't playing, I don't, so I, uh, Long story short, I, when I wasn't playing, I would beg bands to let me tech for them. And what I mean beg is like, a lot of dudes like myself, we don't have other talents or skills that make us money. So like, um, 
when it came to like, what the fuck am I going to do? I don't know if someone recommended it or whatever. Like, I know that my first tech gig, I just kind of fell into because as a drummer, you're your own tech for a lot of years. You, you, for the first, however many years of my career, I set up my drums every night. So I was my own drum tech. I already knew how to do it. Um, so I begged bands to let me drum tech. So when I met them, I was drum teching of mice and men. Um, and we were on a, a 97 day tour. So since we were on such a long tour, I was just so fucking, uh, sick of hanging out with my own dudes that I was like, oh, I'll just go hang out with whoever. And in flames is who I ended up hanging out with. They, um, after every show, they would just be blasting music, having a party, just having a blast. And, I'm, and it would only just be like them. It, it wasn't like there was people there. It was just them having champagne, blasting hip hop or whatever that I would hear it from down the hallway. And I'd be like, oh, what's going on there? And they were just so welcoming that I would just hang out with them all the time. So when it came time for them to pick a drummer, oddly enough, they chose me, which I think is fucking nuts of them. Because I didn't even, I truly to this day don't think that they knew if I could play a whole set of metal or whatever. Like, I truly, they still to this day have not told me the extent of how much they listened to me to see if I was capable. So I was shocked that they chose me. Um, and yeah, that was six or seven months. I met them six or seven months before I joined the band. Okay, gotcha. Okay, yeah. it's probably probably like an, you've got the chops clearly, but it also comes down to the fact that they can tolerate you onto your point in 97 day tour. And I think that's, they talk about it all the time, you know, and they talk about how, yeah, at the end of the day, when we tour and stuff, the biggest thing is like, can we fucking be around you yeah. for for 97 days, right? And um, yeah, I even still don't, I don't even think that they fucking knew me that well either. That's what was weird, like, you, I could have been a serial killer piece of shit who could barely drum. So uh, I'll have to keep asking them and see, uh, because we didn't even hang that much for them to know, but maybe they just caught a vibe and it is what it is. And I'm stoked that they, they took a risk, but also you said you got the chops. I didn't have the chops before I joined the band. I had to fake it till I make it for the first eight months, maybe. Hmm. Yeah. So that was terrifying. I, I just talked in this previous interview about how, when I got the gig, I, um, I lied and I was like, yeah, I can play that song. I can play this song. I, I couldn't play those songs. So I fucking flew out to Sweden and was having a panic attack the whole way. Cause I'm like, what is going to happen? I, that, and that's kind of big. Almost every gig I've been offered is it's incredibly rare that I get offered a gig where I'm like, Oh yeah, I could do that. That's fucking a cakewalk. It's always, a little or a lot above my talent level and I just fucking do it. And I hope for the best. And thankfully in this regard, it's uh, allowed me to learn and adapt to be a, uh, a metal drummer. So, so you never had to fill in for Alex from suicide or Tino from of mice and men. No of mice. I could have done suicide sounds. Fuck. No, I couldn't have done that. Um, I played, I would play like the end of the set with suicide silence sometimes. Cause it was easy um same with when i worked for a tray you I, I could have done a tray you no problem but like yeah stuff like incredible like uh extreme death metal or stuff like that no fucking way but like if my and man a tray you certain bands i've worked for I, I i'm in that wheelhouse for sure but like when i worked for the artist murder i could have never played uh, you know half a song with them oh how, how recent was the was the work with the art 
It was a long time ago. It was 2015. Okay, gotcha. Was CJ in the band at that point or was he out? Yeah. Yep. Okay, gotcha. Just going back to what you said earlier, I, I find it incredible that you faked it till you made it with bloody Daniels playing because he's a monster. Yeah, yeah. It was um... – I'm surprised I didn't have more anxiety because what happens when I get out to Sweden and I truly can't play it or like maybe I can kind of play it and they're kind of noticing like he can barely play this because I straight up had to stop a song and I had to be like, oh, something's up with my pedals. And I just had to lie. I truly do not know how I had the mental bandwidth to deal with such fucking pressure and such lies. But um, it worked out. I have no fucking clue. I remember walking, they were recording all the songs that we were rehearsing because our, uh, our sound guy will do that so that when at, later in the day, he can just sit there and continue to mix off what has, was pre-recorded. And I was hearing it going, Holy fuck. Are they going to find out? Are they going to find out I'm a fucking fraud? And, um, you know, I, as I've said, like there was a, been a couple pulled muscles on stage as I'm trying to fake it till you make it. But, uh, here we are six years later. Yeah, fucking nice. There you go. What's it? I've already mentioned Chris, but what's what's it actually like playing along with a guitarist of his caliber? Because he's one of the, you know, when I talk about world class, he's in the easily in the top dozen metal guitarists around. I guess it's easier than one would think because I'm not a guitarist. So like these guys aren't put on the pedestal that guitarists do right like when people talk with chris or bjorn like they look up to them so much i no offense to them i don't look up to them or i hadn't looked up to them because i'm not a guitarist right so it, it helps me to jam with people right like um so when there's moments of like hey man come in and jam like i, I try to take the human off the pedestal right and just know they're just a dude who's worked really hard so if anything it's just been fucking rad um especially hearing um the first thing, like really hearing Chris do some riffs is on Forgone solos, um, which are like, I told him, I've told him a million times that are some of my favorite guitar moments of the record for sure. But like some of my favorite moments on the record, because uh, uh, other than jamming backstage, I hadn't really heard him shred. I never listened, never, ever listened to Megadeth. And even if I listen to Megadeth, it's not like you're listening to Chris Unleashed. You're listening to Megadeth and even if he did a solo in Megadeth, it was probably, okay, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. So to hear him fully be given, you know, the freedom to do solos on Forgone, I was so fucking stoked because I think they're so sick and he's such a good guitar player. Um, That's rad. So thankfully for me, in regards to like nerves of like playing with heroes, I, I, I lucky enough, I take everybody off the fucking pedestal and let's just fucking jam, you know, like when we toured with deep purple, yeah. I made the keyboardist start playing with us and like, just like, let's fucking jam. We're all musicians at the end of the day, unless you're a dick, we're all just dudes fucking who really love this shit and we're super nerdy. So, um, I try to have fun with it, but it, it is fucking rad having two dudes who work really hard. Um, I say it all the time to all of them. I mean, this is my first band I've been in where every member is gunning for it. And every member is bringing, um, their own slice of entertainment to the stage. Um, because it's nice not to feel like I'm the one destroying myself on stage. feels like a, we go out as a unit. And, um, on top of that, it's, it, we play shows with such ease in terms of vibes and expectations. We truly do not give a fucking shit if, anyone fucks up or 
or whatever. We literally, it's just like we, we jam backstage for an hour or two and then we just go out and play a show and the vibe is, has forever been, let's just go have a fucking blast. And uh, it's not been like that for a lot of bands I've been in and it's not like that for a lot of bands that exist. So I'm hyped that the underlying theme of the band is let's just go have fun. You, you mentioned something, I've got to say, you mentioned something interesting there, uh, funny, very, very funny. So you pulled Don Airy, the keyboardist from, from Deep Purple, onto the stage with In Flames. Is that what you did? I wish it was on stage. I don't know why it was, it was during soundcheck. Um, I don't know why he was still there and they were deep purple. They were all so rad. And like when I was jamming, he was right behind me and I looked and he kind of looked like he was jamming with us. I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Let's go buddy. Um, so that was such a cool moment, especially for them. Like, uh, Bjorn's favorite bands, deep purple. And, uh, that whole tour, it was fucking bizarre, but it was incredible, especially for them to like, tour with their heroes and it made no sense either deep purple and in flames what the fuck in mexico and it was just like weird as shit but it was so rad to meet them hang with them we still um see don and we still see him when we go to london and his his um his son we just saw so it's cool to connect with them and um yeah again we're fucking let's just jam gives a shit yeah, that's great. Well, his son is Ozzy's keyboard player when Ozzy plays live these days. I think, or is it Rick Wakeman's son? So it's one of the two anyway. Yeah. But uh, but you know that Mexican show? Here's a question for you. I've tried to get to the bottom of this because that show was just enormous, that one. And you were there. You were bloody on stage. That venue holds something in the vicinity of 140,000 people at capacity. How full was it when you were playing, do you think? Which show was this? The Hermanos, you know, the race course. That you played on no idea i do not remember that i remember the bigger one i remember some of the venues were kind of big they're weird open air type yeah arena type shit the only one i remember that was actually big was mexico city um which i had done prior but i don't really remember. i mean i'll, I'll paint the picture of how that was because it's not in, in, in any shot at anyone but it was just a very poorly run tour uh-huh. it seemed like cartelish um and again it was us and deep purple so it made absolutely no sense musically um in the sense of like we would go out there and for the first 100 or 300 yards it was the more wealthy people that could afford those nicer tickets yeah so some nights we would go the majority of the nights we would go out and for the first 300 yards there might be 100 people maybe 50 people and then 300 yards back you would see that's where the fans are Oh, yeah. They can afford those seats and they're having a fucking blast. So it was weird, dude. And especially like they're getting ready for a uh, smoke on the water and we're fucking blasting, take this life. <laughs> and it was fucking bizarre. Um, but again, that's not really what the trip ended up being about. It was mostly just like flying around and hanging with deep purple and eating Mexican food. So we had a blast, but um, it was definitely weird. Yeah, I haven't been to Mexico. Oh, actually, I have been to Mexico, but it wasn't enough to experience it, if you understand what I'm saying. But my wife's family are from the Philippines, and I get the impression that Mexico is similar in that if you got money, it's fine. If you don't have money, things can go south pretty quickly. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming so. I mean, Mexico um, can get very fucking weird, and especially with, like, the police side of things. Yeah, if you have some money, you're going to be safe forever because they'll just come and fuck with you. Um yeah, we just went to Mexico and we didn't have to really deal with anything. It just depends. What are you doing? You know, if you're driving around all day and you got shit to do, you're probably not going to be fucked with. But uh, it can get a little sketchy. But um, 
Yeah, I love Mexico. Um, I I live 40 minutes from Mexico, so I'm I'm obviously I'm a fan. Diego, I yeah, yeah. And all the food around here is all directly related to that. I mean, so much Mexican food. When you come to Sydney, remember what I'm saying here. It reminded me so much of Sydney, San Diego, because of the gum trees yeah. everywhere. If you've seen oh, what yeah. it looks like, it was so weird. Yeah. Oh yeah, that I I was just telling because all these interviews I've done today are all Australian, and like it's one of the only places in the entire world where I don't feel like I'm in that foreign of a place, mm. um, which is incredibly rare you know what i mean like what other country will i feel like oh yeah this feels okay this feels normal okay cool it's australia that's it um and a lot of the time with my mental health like sometimes i'm overwhelmed by how culturally different a place is like especially with how locked into my comfort zone i get at home sometimes it's kind of jarring being in the hood of columbia at nine in the morning trying to find a cup of coffee or or fucking in the midst of ecuador and i can't breathe because of the elevation and fucking insane and i gotta figure out what their money is and all this so australia has always been a fucking blast um palm trees everywhere um fucking good vibes the food is fucking incredible yeah i, I absolutely love australia that's so you may, thank you for that by the way but you mentioned a couple of things in there so you said something up the top psychedelics now i partake um and they've helped me a lot i can tell you that but is that something that you use for your own health and well-being as well, obviously? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I was talking to my parents about it because, I mean, my parents are my best friends. We talk about everything. We smoke weed together. We, I was discussing because I was telling them this new treatment that I'm doing. And um, he looked a little worried. My dad looked a little worried. He's a little more straight and narrow than my mom but I was explaining to them how thankful I am that in 2024, where we're at now, that first and foremost, what I was expressing is that as a kid, I never fucked around with psychedelics. My, all of my friends did. And um, I was raised pretty strict. So I was always fearful of being in trouble from my parents. So, you know, we would go on a trip with all my boys. And all my boys would just be flying on acid. And for me, I was never interested in like fucking losing myself for six to eight to 12 hours. So I was always the driver. Um, but I've always been interested in it. It's always been around me my whole life. Yet now it's beautiful that we're in a scientifically proven place of being able to receive medicine from the earth that can help heal our, our present and our past. Um, in, in, in a delivery form that's medicinal. Um, me and my lady just watched, uh, I think it's called How to Change Your Mind on Netflix. And um, they go through acid, MDMA, uh, mushrooms, I think peyote or whatever the fuck. Yeah. But it's a whole documentary. Yeah, talking about here's what's scientifically proven and here's, here's these people experiencing it and what they're going through. Um, so for me, I'm really glad that I never really abused anything. Um, and that now as an adult man who wants to heal his anxious brain, I can go do the research and I can go get this medicine. So uh, I'm I'm a huge fan and a huge advocate. Have you gone as far as ayahuasca yet? No. Have you? Yeah. Sick. Yeah. A bunch of my Aussie friends, a bunch of my friends have done it. Um one of my therapists has been recommending it to me nonstop. Um, 
I would love to do it at some point, um, given enough freedom in my schedule and given enough, uh, strength to go have the strength to go do that. Cause I know yeah. it's transformative and I know it's, um, yeah, I know it's something I got to do. So I, I would absolutely love to do that at some point. Oh, if you, if you, you, you sound like you're experienced enough, but you're right. You've got to be courageous. There's no two ways about it. It's you have your dark night of the soul on the stuff and your mother, she shows you everything that she heals you, but she wants to know what you want healed. And you have to have that intention, be very intentional with it. It is, it's transdimensional. And those who know, know. And those who are sceptical or what have you, well, I couldn't give a shit, you know, be sceptical away. But this will change your life in the most profound and most positive also of ways as well. It just, um, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I'll tell you this now, mate, you know, I was up to three bottles a week made of vodka, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, my 40s and, and I, you know, it's, being, I'm a musician too and come home and, you know, bottle is gone in sort of an hour and a half. You know, and then it's time to go to bed and then you wake up a couple of hours later just to go and do all the kids stuff and all the rest of it. But it's not addiction, but you get into a cycle with these things and then you become attached. And what she does is she, as long as your intention is clear, she gets in there, rearranges some things, and then you can lead the life that God put you on this earth to do. And that's the power in, in Aya. And to your point about it being scientifically proven, mate, it's whatever addiction you've got. This is why I look at these 12-step programs and I'm, I'm just not that I'm sceptical, but I attended one once and they just seemed like a bunch of angry blokes who wanted to punch each other out who were just sort of holding themselves back. But the problem with these other programs, if you're dealing with addiction or psychological distress or what have you, you're never cured, whereas ayahuasca can actually cure you of these things and actually put yeah. you, you could actually put them, like she does the work for you. There's no other way to describe it. You've just got to be have the conviction to go that's what i want and then she puts you on a completely different frequency and you can lead the rest of your life and you know this is this is the mind opening stuff and with all of the problems that we've got in the world outside of just our own personal journey you know there's issues that are in the middle east at the moment and russia across the world mate i just wish these bloody world leaders that you know that that, that pull the trigger on these wars and these bombs and all these fucking things that they think that they do mate I wish they'd do a couple of journeys, go on a couple of journeying sessions, because there's no way, there's absolutely no way that they'd do that after that. That's really funny because I was just listening to Duncan Trussell and Joe Rogan, and they were saying about how a prerequisite of any world leader should they have they, they have to go on a psychedelic experience first because yeah. they won't do it after. They won't go and try to be a world leader after they do that. You know, maybe we wouldn't have world leaders if we ended up doing that. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that that's why I love um, even the glimpses I've seen of, um, you know, I've, I've done DMT a bunch and uh, I've microdosed mushrooms. And I, I, at least with the DMT, I've definitely um, seen what's possible. I know they're, it's related to ayahuasca, right? Like in the same route. Oh, it's a, um, yeah, just, similar DMT. It's DMT, yeah, as well. But it's just the method of, I suppose, delivery. You know, the vine is this sacred mother, this goddess, you know, and you know, yep. but say ayahuasca. But other forms are can can be just as profound as well. They just give you a different experience, I suppose. Yeah, and I feel like, especially me, like, and that, and that, and that's why I'm so excited that I didn't do it as a kid because now I'm a 35 year old man who has 
lived an infinity lives. And now I can like, when I do approach these journeys, I'm not a dumb kid looking to get high. I'm looking yeah. to transform and looking to heal myself. So I'm, I'm really appreciative that like each year that the science and the availability for uh, nature you know, medicine is prevalent. You know, if I wanted to go and do it around here, I could, but it's never what I wanted to do. I've always wanted to go, um, like I've been offered to go to Peru and like go into the Amazon and like do it proper. So I would very much love um, to to do that one day. Yeah, the, the only stipulation uh, or condition I'd put on any journeying is that you do it as part of a shamanic circle, because there's yep. you you very quickly it becomes very apparent when you're in the peak of it that you're all <clears throat> who you're with you're connected to, and if. Yeah. The other entities and things can come in and become part of that process because there are demonic entities out there. There are really angelic entities too, but there are some entities that try to grab onto you if you're not careful. And I think at the peak of one of them, I could see that in the circle I was in, we were like a constellation, like, you know, just spinning around, like somewhere like Mars, someone like, you know, took the role of Earth, you know, we were just spinning around and the shaman in the centre is the sun. And not that he's a god or anything like that, but he's locking it down and making sure that we're all in orbit and safe. You know, so to anybody out there that's thinking about journeying, yeah, you can get anything you bloody want these days. It's not hard, but the environment and the conditions upon which you do these things really determine the outcome. Yeah, 100%. And um, yeah, anytime I go and and take the, the, the and go and approach the journey, I'm lucky enough to where when I go and do the research and places that I've been re- referenced to these, these guys have been shamans since they were kids. And they're, they're, you know, they're decades into their shaman practice and I can go in and like experience something uh, awesome like that compared to me going 30 minutes into the trees over here and like doing it with some hippie, like, even though that's cool and it could be transformative and whatever, but yeah, I'm lucky that these days um, there's a lot of places you can go um, with people who will correctly guide you. Hmm. Different topic, but very much related. I only recently had a conversation with Jesper, Jesper Stromblad. And have you met him at all? No. He's a bloke. He's struggled with alcohol addiction. He's a bloke who I would would love to just have a chat to on that level and explain that there is these things because he's such an enormous talent, just a a once-in-a-generation talent, Jesper. And I know he's struggled terribly with, with his challenges with alcohol and it stops him from touring the halo effect you know the guys in the halo effect or once in except for one were um in uh in flames at some point but mate, it's the, the the point is these things are out there for people should you've just got to ask the question and it might take a decade it took a decade for me you know it's how long it took for it to be revealed and she generally finds you you know the mother vine finds you you don't have to do too much work as long as you put the intention out there she hears i don't know it sounds esoteric but that's how i believe and i'm, I'm christian right too so these things are compatible as far as i'm concerned but um mm. uh, i'm not a bible basher by the way i just have my beliefs you know what i mean um but i just for anybody out there that's struggling these they're they're, they're more than tools they're 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 a way in which you can correct the course of your life okay and you can get back to the two your true self. That's how it feels. It feels like a reset back to, you know, your true harmonic self. Yeah, for sure. And like anyone who would judge that or feel like it's too out there, maybe they're not struggling enough to see what, what's possible to, to heal yourself, right. Or like not vulnerable enough to enter that space. Um, and I'm lucky enough 
And I thank God daily that um, a lot of different variations of healing is available. Um, a lot of support um, and a lot of ways to not get trapped into what society and what the government would like to do, which is to put you on fucking medicine. And um, yeah, the it's, it's an interesting thing. Like the, the way our, our medicine or our medicine is set up in the world is, is um, you should be able to go to a doctor and let them know you're depressed, you're anxious. And he helps you with some plant medicine or just a, a book or some yoga. Right. And I like, Oh, you're like, what's going on? Yeah. Okay. Well you have this and you need to take this medicine. Um, it's incredible that year by year, I mean, look at Netflix documentaries, right? It's all the, the plant, plant medicine and natural healing is, um, only growing in awareness every year. Have you had, have you had one of those profound moments with it where there was an AD and a BC and an AD moment, you know what I mean? Like a, a year zero or a moment zero sort of thing. I've dived into the DMT world enough, especially my first time that it opened my eyes to what's possible with medicine healing. Hmm. Um, that's truly the only medicine I've taken that brought me to another place. I've never really taken a heroic dose of mushrooms or anything like that. Um, but once I started trying DMT, I saw what was possible and what I was missing, what I was suppressing. Um, and I learned in that moment that these things can be um, medicine and not a party. Because a lot of the time, at least for my youth, I never heard of a single psychedelic being used for medicine, right? Mm -hmm. That's not something you talk about when you're 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. So I like the intention of like, you know, I, I struggle with anxiety. So I like the intention of like, this is going to heal me and and going in and um and going through these private therapy sessions is kind of what I've called them and, and kind of tapping into my more spiritual side. And uh, that's partnered with all the books I've read and everything I've become attached with, with Buddhism and Taoism. And, um, uh, and it's all come out of desperation in regards to my mental health. And I'm honored that like through that desperate need of change i've learned a lot and seen what's out there and seen what's um possible for me to use as a tool you never know tanner maybe your uh your thrust into the limelight through this rolling in flames is more of a journey about you spreading awareness and education around plant medicine i just joined a company called portal and um i'm super honored because going through my panic attacks and going through my anxiety, I've always wanted a place and a platform and just something to be able to use what I've gone through to help others um, as classic and cheesy as that is for people who have said that kind of thing before, but I was just given this opportunity. So yes, I, I, I very much um, an, or I, I am an advocate for plant medicine, but even more of an advocate for, um, people who struggle with mental health and um it's something i deal with daily and uh i just happen to have the most psychotic job of i have to be really anxious and also get in front of hundreds of thousands of people and shred metal every night um but i definitely this is the next chapter of my life starting is being um far more public about what i deal with and what's helped me um, all while letting everyone know militantly that I am not a doctor or a therapist. <laughs>
Yeah, yeah, I know. Some people sort of take you, you've always got to put these. Well, not always, but yeah, yeah, these people sort of take everything you say as verse. And I've noticed that too with some of the things that I've shared with you. I can see people are just locked into what I'm talking about. But it's like this is what it was for me. Okay, it's going to be completely yeah. different for you because that's just how it works. Okay, it's not like pharmaceuticals where you take a headache tablet and your headache slightly goes away and you return even stronger a couple of hours later or whatever it might be. But uh, yeah, it's it's a heck of a topic, mate, and and I uh, I wish you well on your journey with this stuff. It's it's so very important that really in the Western Hemisphere because so many people also are coming in from other parts of the world into the Western Hemisphere, so Canada, United States, Australia, Britain, New Zealand. You know, we've also got to evolve too. Um, and be aware that we're getting lots of different influences. And I mean, you'd be on the border there, God Almighty. Are you being affected by what's happening with the border much, or is Tijuana, the border of Tijuana, still very secure? I think it's secure. I don't know. There you go. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, like for, for spreading awareness and stuff, for anything, obviously, me and you aren't telling anybody to do any psychedelic anything, right? We can only say what what helped us, but my huge thing, psychedelics or not, is just like knowing that there is far more to life than what we get sucked into focusing on. And yeah. um, and what I'm mostly referencing is the vagueness of our everyday lives. Um, there's way more going on um, with what you're capable of, mm. of of achieving, and at the end of the day. People far more need to realize that you're a human being having a human experience and not just a slave to the nine to five or a slave to Absolutely. what's expected from culture and slave to um, what you're supposed to be doing and comparing yourself to everybody else's lives. And, and again, that's why a lot of people use psychedelics and what psychedelics have shown me is there's just far more than what you get wrapped up in. Yeah, indeed there is. Yeah. Mate, I'll make this my my final question for you. Um, is there anything in particular that you want to do down in Australia, if, apart from playing? Is there anything on the agenda? Um, I hope that I get to see some animals because I've been to Australia, fuck, four times, five times. I've never once been to one of the zoos. The zoos make me sad a little bit, but I think I've never really seen like caged animals in Australia. I'm sure there's tons, but... I, I would love to hold a kangaroo or a, a koala. I'll hold a kangaroo too, if it lets me. Um, I'd love to do that. Um, I'm just looking forward to, like I said, I love Australia and I feel so comfortable there. So I'm just looking forward to the shows. I'm looking forward to getting that Nando's in my body. And um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I love Australia, man. I'm really looking forward to it. Go to, uh, in Brisbane, uh, you're right about the zoos. There's not many of them because they're sanctuaries. Uh, Lone Pine yeah. Sanctuary in Brisbane is the place to go to. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, I've been offered a couple times and it's like, oh, I just got off a 16-hour flight. I'm good. I don't give a fuck. I'm not going anywhere. So that, I would I would love to do that. Um, so yeah, hopefully someone wants to go with me. Yeah, it's always interesting when you see the guys in Watain or someone just completely, you know, it's just a complete contradiction. Yeah, exactly. And they've got the tattoos and the, you know, the remnants of the makeup on and all that stuff. And they're holding a cute, cuddly koala. And the interesting thing is most Australians have barely even seen a koala. I think everybody who visits has got more of a chance of seeing one and holding one than we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure. Urban, yeah. Urban environments, yeah. yeah, so yeah. Hopefully that, um, but I'm just looking forward to the weather and, and the vibes and um, yeah, it's going to be a blast.
What a fantastic chat with a great fella. I really like that one. Jesus, I love doing this show, having these conversations with musicians that are up there on the stages all over the world playing killer heavy metal, and then you find they've got this other dimension. Mm, there you go. All right, there are many more chats just like that one. Well, maybe not just like that one, but they're similar. Over at scarsandguitars.com, and I know you like reading because you're a smart audience. I know that. You're an intelligent person, and you like reading books, and you're in luck. I've written one. It is all about the show. Click the link in the banner on my website, and you'll be taken to a marketplace of your choice. You know what to do from there. And there's some more information I want to share with you about the book in the moment. Before we get to that, I'll bid you a farewell. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I am the host of this show, Scars and Guitars. Until next time, it is a very goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the... I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, I, I just I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was very, you know, very open-minded and and he was into having his, his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for, for the best stuff that they have. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five and Manson gave me that name and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. 
All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.